What's the agenda, Jessica? Um, the date when we get to work plan for the next meeting. For uh, it's the date thing. Chair Larkin, this meeting is now called to order as you do have a quorum. Item one, roll call. Larry Bush. Excused. Robert Carlson. Here. Kevin Hughes. Here. Brian Larkin. Here. Brenda McNulty. Here. Jennifer Warburg. Here. Item two. Approval with possible modification of the minutes of the July 28, 2016 meeting. All right, I'll open to the committee first. Does anyone have any modifications or additions they want to make to the minutes as written? I know that I do not. All right, um, then the next step would be public comment on them. So let's hear it. Oh, oh, hold on, Dr. Kerr. Sorry. Hold on. Gotcha. Hello. Ah, Hello. good morning, committee members, Controller Rosenfield. I'm Dr. Derek Kerr, a whistleblower. The minutes of the July meeting make no mention of the whistleblower program. That's because you didn't review it. According to GoBox's 2016 work plan, the whistleblower program was to be reviewed at your May meeting. But that meeting was canceled, and the whistleblower item was not forwarded to July's agenda or today's. The last time you assessed the whistleblower program was in January. <clears throat> your next review is scheduled for January 2017. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's 12 months without an open discussion. While you did hear a civil grand jury presentation on the whistleblower protection ordinance at your March meeting, that does not qualify as oversight of the controller's whistleblower program. GOBOC has already cut its reviews of the whistleblower program to twice annually even though the program issues four reports annually. Given your heavy workload overseeing bond projects, please consider relinquishing oversight of the whistleblower program to some other body, perhaps the proposed public advocate. Thank you very much. Good morning, I'm Patrick Manetza. Um The July 28th meeting minutes are completely defective regarding agenda item four on the CSA presentation. On audio tape of that meeting, Chairperson Brian Larkin and CSA Director Tanya Ledigeu 
discussed change orders in depth. Larkin stated regarding design build projects that, quote, they are not going to get errors and omission change orders anymore. They're going to give up a certain amount of control over their projects, end quote. He was referring to design errors and design omission. Max Cherney's September 15th San Francisco Weekly article titled Five Corrupt Ways to Influence San Francisco Politics is troubling since the fifth way involves change orders. If design errors and design omission change orders will no longer be reported, is that only for design build projects or all bond funded construction projects? Does this mean the CSA unit will no longer provide design errors and emission change orders to projects go back overseas or projects CSA overseas? These minutes need to be made clear. It's unclear who Larkin was referring to using the word they. Are the they design build project managers, go back members? or members of the public. Not too surprisingly, when I placed a records request seeking clarification regarding these and other questions on September 23rd, the city controller invoked an unnecessary 10-day delay in which to provide a response to my simple records request. I'm looking forward to the controller's belated response. By restricting GoBox oversight of change orders, are you contributing to corruption in San Francisco? Good morning, my name is Jerry Drattler. Uh, one of the agenda materials for the July meeting was the draft work plan for the CSA. Um, I went on the website this weekend. It's still in draft form. It's three months into the fiscal year. There doesn't seem to be a final CSA work plan. My question is, that was one of the agenda items in the July meeting. When is it this, the GOBAC will approve the CSA annual work plan? Thank you. Any other comment? All right, well. Then a move to approve the minutes. Second. So that, that would be, you, you made the move and someone else will have to make I'll second. All right, Brenda's made the second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? That's that. Item three, presentation from Public Works about the 2011 bond reporting and street safety bond program and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation. And Thomas. Good morning, committee. Mr. Thomas. Well, it's just hard to reach you. Good morning. Committee members, John Thomas from Public Works here to present on the 2011 road repaving and street safety bond. 
Um, before you have a summary of the program, uh, as a reminder, and to those of you who are new, it's a $248 million bond um, with the initial sale in um, April of 2012. Uh, we had a second sale uh, late in the following year and the third sale uh, at the midpoint of this, this year. Um, so all bond proceeds have now been um, sold and we are moving forward with the, the full scope of the program. And I'll get into that in more detail as we move forward. A couple of highlights I'd like to touch on. Um, so within the uh, road repaving bond, about $150 million of that is dedicated to uh, paving itself. Uh, and of that, we have completed 39 uh, street resurfacing contracts with 11 currently in construction. And we've paved 1,187 out of a goal of 1,275 blocks, or 93%. And with the completion of those 11, we will exceed that goal uh, when the project is completed, or when the program is completed overall. Um, both the sidewalks and structures programs have been completed, and I've reported that to you in, the, in my past presentations. Um, and then there's a couple of projects of note that are uh, within the streetscape, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but that are underway now. Uh, Polk Streetscape just started construction. Uh, the date here is, is uh, August 15th. That was the notice to proceed. But since that time, the contractor's been working on submittals and schedules and the like. But groundbreaking just occurred last week. Um, a few others of note in, in Streetscape. Laurel Village um, design is now about halfway through. Ocean Streetscape is about finished. And Spofford Streetscape, which is an alley in Chinatown, uh, is also expected to break ground within the next couple of weeks. Um, under risks, issues, or concerns, um, one project which has had some significant problems with, uh, for us is the Bartlett Streetscape project. It's between 22nd and 23rd. Um, the, I say problems uh, in part that is because we had a, a fairly major scope addition to that project late in the game. Um, uh, Department of City Planning had asked us to include uh, a pergola structure, the design actually included the concept and provisions for it, but the actual the pergola itself wasn't designed until we were under construction and funding was provided by city planning for that. So that's been added as a change order. We ran into some difficulties with subsurface uh, obstacles, including um, fuel tanks and unexpected uh, foundation uh, structures in, within the street uh, right away. So we've had to deal with that, um, and uh, so the work is expected now to complete in December um, of this year. But that added nearly a year to the contract overall. Um, so um, I can go through just briefly um, those programs as we talked about. Um, we had street resurfacing, which is close to $150 million, sidewalk and curb ramp, about $21 million, structures, close to $7 million, streetscape projects, um, about $52 million, signals, with it, which is led by the MTA, uh, $20 million, and then, of course, the, the final amount uh, associated with accountability and cost of issuances, $2.5 million. Moving on, this slide is specific for the street repaving and reconstruction. So again, um, we are well on our way to exceeding the goal on, uh, that was in the original bond report. Um, most all of those projects have been in some form or another joined with other departments or other projects to 
um, kind of increased efficiencies and minimize disruption to the public. Um, one listed here as a bullet again is Polk Streetscape. It's been uh, talked about uh, fairly consistently, um, certainly during the planning phase, um, because of the addition of um, the MTA uh, bike lanes that have been proposed there, and the uh, the local businesses had some concerns about how that might disrupt their operations both during construction and after. Um, but we, I think, resolved all of those issues, and we will again, as I said, begin construction. Um, uh, any day now. So let's see what else do I want to say. Oh, one of the major goals of the street resurfacing bond was that uh, we were going to improve the PCI or pavement condition index score of our streets uh, from what was about um, 64 at the time the bond was sold uh, to a target of 70. We are well on our way to achieving that. We have now, um, as of December of 2015, uh, seen our PCI score increase to 68. Um, again, with the continued increase in uh, budget for paving, and we've had a couple more years of commitment from the mayor's office out of the general fund to do so, um, we look to target uh, achieving that 70, actually about a year, year and a half ahead of the schedule proposed in uh, the repaving bond program report. Um, so in, in uh, 2019, we expect to achieve that um, with our current expenditure rate. Moving on to streetscapes. Um, we have several that are under construction now, including Irving, Bartlett, Fulton, Ocean, Mission and Silver, uh, and Potrero. Um, we have in planning a, a small project, Geary Park Presidio, pedestrian improvements. Um, and then the uh, Tarraville Streetscape just received the um, San Francisco American Society of Civil Engineers 2016 Community Improvement Project of the Year Award. And we've received a number of awards on other projects, including Castro um, and, and a couple of others. So we've been very proud of the work under those projects and the program as a whole. Um, one thing to note here, there was the, the projects were broken into uh, two major components, the, the first of which were uh, major streetscape projects. There were 24 of those. Uh, all but one of those are now um, out in construction or uh, with design complete. And then the last one that I mentioned at uh, Geary Park Presidio is in the planning phase. Um, there, in addition to that, were 51 follow the paving projects. So again, this was uh, kind of an opportunistic approach to um, joining paving projects wherever we could to make ped and bike safety improvements. Um, this predates Vision Zero, but it certainly dovetails well with the, the mayor's Vision Zero uh, goals that he has set and then reinforced this summer with the mayor's directive. As I mentioned uh, at the executive summary statement, the curb ramp program and sidewalks, they were uh, operated as two separate programs, but both of which uh, have been completed. Um, uh, on the sidewalk side, both the SERP and ASAP program exceeded the goals that were established uh, in the bond report. The curb ramp program fell slightly short. Um, our goal was 1,700 curb ramps. Our projected total at this point is 1,563. Some of you may remember that I came before this uh, committee and indicated that we had thought we would be far short of that, about 1,350, um, due to the increased costs of curb ramp construction as well as the fact that uh, the program itself 
has, has really constructed many of the simpler, uh, easier to complete projects that are out there. And what we're facing now are the more challenging projects that were deferred as a result of either lack of funding or um, a challenge in solving it. Some of those, um, uh, just for your information, have to do with sub-sidewalk basements primarily. Uh, a lot of these that exist in District 3 and District 6 where sub-sidewalk basements exist at the curb line, uh, they present quite a challenge to, um, to constructing the, uh, the curb ramps. Um, in many cases, you have to remove and reconstruct the roof structure of the sub-sidewalk area. Uh, and in so doing, you sometimes run into everything from the electrical services uh, to mechanical equipment and other things that are, uh, that are located in those areas. Um, the sub-sidewalk area is public right-of-way. It is owned and our jurisdiction as the city of San Francisco. Um, some of these date back 100 years and more, and there are uh, few, if any, records on them. The ones that do have records, um, they have a permit, uh, an encroachment permit from Public Works to occupy that space. Um, so it is revocable at any time, but um, we're still working through the process on how uh, we will achieve that. But that's part of the reason why the goal was uh, was short. But again, we did make up quite a bit um, um, through restructuring and re uh, a revised approach there. Um, the roadway structure program is also uh, now complete, or 99% uh, of the appropriated funds have been expended and or encumbered. Um, the last two projects are really just waiting for closeout. The work that was prescribed under the bond is actually finished. Um, but there was, um, in one case at the Highland Bridge in particular, we added in a security fence because we had had some, uh, some folks getting underneath there and, and creating some damage. So in addition to the project of rehabilitating the, the bridge itself and the, the guardrails on the sides, um, we added that scope into the project and that's taken some time to complete. Traffic signals, as I mentioned earlier, this is uh, a portion of the program ma managed by the MTA. Um, this slide here shows um, how much they had ac uh, accomplished as of the end of the second bond sale. They now have the funding for the third bond sale, about $4.5 million, and are working towards uh, encumbering those funds. Um, they anticipate um, procurement and then installation of all of the traffic signal priority signal controllers. Uh, by mid-2018, mid so they will be uh, hopefully about a year ahead of what they had projected on, on that work. Um, the scope includes covering basi basically almost every intersection in the city with traffic signal priority um, uh, opportunity, and that, that is generally taken advantage of by the MTA through uh, Muni operations. They can use traffic signal priority as they approach an intersection. Um, in addition to that, the uh, fire department has equipped some of their vehicles, although not all at this point, um, and they too can take advantage of that in key corridors. Um, this slide presents a summary of the budget and financial plan. Um, and rather than go into detail on this, I'm certainly happy to answer any questions you may have. Uh, should you have any. Now, in the past, we've also talked about uh, change orders, so we're still working through this. I think um, we have been presenting various options to you, but what we've done here is broken out the major programs, uh, curb ramp, street structures, streetscape, and street resurfacing, and have um, illustrated where and how each of these have experienced change orders over the life of the projects. 
Um, one of the challenges here is, of course, there's various categories that we're reporting on, but there's also various funding sources in all those contracts as a result of them being joint projects. Um, but again, we're representing this in uh, two ways, um, both from the uh, uh, dollars expended and then also from the percent of um, amount awarded within each program. So again, happy to take any questions on those, should you have any. Um, and then lastly, just showing an overall schedule and where we anticipate completing the work. At this point, at the end of 2018, is our uh, best estimate for completion of the work under the Streetscape program, which is probably the longest lead uh, program that we have uh, w remaining within the 2011 Streets Bond. Uh, that concludes my presentation. Any questions from members of the committee? <coughs> I have a couple. Oh, well, um, Kevin, you go first within, and then Robert, because I, I was looking at this. <laughs> and then I'll go. So, Mr. Thomas, thank you very much. On the traffic signals and the SFMTA, so there is a SFMTA program called uh, SFGO. Yes, sir. Where it prioritizes uh, transit uh, preempt signaling. Uh, and and public safety vehicles also at some point and that's somewhere in its rollout which is going to span several years so these bond dollars are part of the SFGO improvement program correct very good okay thank you you're welcome Kevin did you, I thought you said you had two questions well I, I misspoke okay <laughs> thank you because I'm paying attention yeah. yes <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you, John. Um, page nine, the financials. Uh, up on the top presentation on the right-hand side, uh, for street resurfacing, it shows there's still a balance of about 15 million and 23 million, 24 million still encumbered. Uh, we're about 74% expended. Uh, how confident that you will spend the balance of those uh, you know the original completion was December uh, of 16 now it's been extended two years to December 18 how confident are you that we will spend the balance of those funds by December 8 uh, 2018 I, I'm very confident of that as I mentioned earlier all the contracts are now in construction so that's why you're seeing the 24 million dollars of encumbrance that's the remaining contracts that are out there um, the 14 million dollar balance that is there has to do with basically all the support costs associated with all the contracts that are still left in place. So that's MTA support costs, it's striping costs, it's a lot of things that sort of lag our billing process, but they will come in and they're all expected to be expended. By, by December of mm -hmm. 2018. Yes. And then on the uh, streetscape, uh, there's still a balance of 51% that hasn't been expended, quite a balance there. and. Um, and that's had uh, and most of the streetscape projects are done is that all follow the paving money no 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 actually most of the streetscape projects are not and if you remember follow the paving only represented 10% of the overall budget 95% you know, of it is in those 24 projects um, but a number of the projects didn't receive their construction funding until this third sale a number of the major projects so Polk Street as an example um, took $7.1 million just for construction, uh, and that has just now been encumbered to start that contract. So um, 
all of that money. How many are still in design of the streetscape projects? Are they just just the, one. the one that's in planning? Okay. Yeah. And you feel confident that will be complete by December of 18 and we'll have those funds I do. spent? Okay. I do. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's some risks. As a couple of these projects, as I've mentioned before, um, are joint projects. So we have a significant amount of PUC water and sewer work, and oftentimes that will extend the duration. So the Polk Street project is over a mile long with, um, I think, 4,000 feet of sewer and 2,500 feet of, of water line going in. So that's, uh, and they are done separately. Uh, you can't uh, have two excavations in the same blocks. And I am encouraged on the street resurfacing with the two-year delay overall. That costs money, but we're still going to exceed the blocks. Pays. Right. And I think, as you know, we've, we've exceeded our goal uh, even with this every year. We've been in excess of 900 blocks per year. Yeah, so I think that's, that's the program's been doing. Great work. And uh, one last question. The PCI, how often do you do that uh, measurement? Annually, Annually. In December. Thank you. All right, John, I have a couple of quick questions. You said on, on the curb ramp that at first you were spending more or than, than what you budgeted for, but then you did something to make it easier, and I, I didn't understand that. Right. So it, it, we had started out, as I said, with a goal that was in the, the bond report, and it used some numbers that were from, I think, 2010, right around the time that the, the bond was uh, put out for uh, for vote. Um, as we began the work in 2012, we were starting to see construction contract costs come in higher, and so we revised our projection at that time um, to lower, well, essentially to represent what we thought we would actually achieve. Right. Um, I think it was a combination of things. Um, in part, was a refocusing on on which projects we were going to attempt to take on and and try and get as many you know, as many curb ramps in as we possibly could. Um, some of that meant that we did push off some of the more challenging projects. Okay. Uh, not unlike what happens with paving. Like we, we like to keep as many of the blocks uh, within that sort of sweet spot where they're less expensive to repair. And I think you've answered my question. I think that at first I was thinking that you were saying, oh, we're, we've changed the design of what we're doing for the curb ramps. Unfortunately ramp. not. No. Okay, no, but you're just trying to take on the ones yep. where they'll be a little bit easier, there'll be less subsurface, right. fewer subsurface problems that you're likely to encounter. Okay. Right. Um, on the signal preamp project, did I understand you to say that you're just putting in the capability for that, that you, that under your project you're not necessarily wiring up the signal preamps? No, these are replacement controllers at all of those locations. I think the issue is whether they turn it on. So they'll all be wired. They can utilize or not utilize as needed. Um, uh -huh. And to uh, Committee Member Hughes's comment, uh, my understanding from the MTA is they have completed all uh, equipping of all new vehicles uh, within the fleet. So MTA has full uh, capability now. Um, it is the uh, fire department that doesn't at this point. And, and so all the signals in the, in the city are done? No, I'm saying oh. when we're done with this next order, um, we should become close to it. I think they had indicated to me that that would bring us up to about 900 intersections that would be uh, equipped with signal preemption. I can confirm that if that's something. You're close enough. I don't need to know any better. And a real quick specific question on the Geary Park Presidio streetscape improvements. 
the scope in like two sentences? Very small. Uh, it's it's a six hundred thousand dollar project. Very very small. It was a, a project that the neighborhood had uh, contemplated, and so the supervisor at the time we had scoped out which projects we wanted to do asked us to to fund doing the work. Oh, it's basically just some hardscape work right at the intersection there. Nothing that would impact the future development of the Geary uh, uh, BRT. This is one, what, an NTIP project, Neighborhood Transportation Improvement Program, that, that it comes from the supervisor's office? Yeah, well, so it's not that. Um, the neighborhood itself had asked for some improvements there, and there was a, a, a group that had formed and, and created a concept plan, uh -huh. and so we're kind of taking that and running with it. Okay. But hardscape improvements. That's all it is, yeah. All right. That's all the questions. Oh. I, just one other thing. I don't want to let this slip because I think it's immensely important. And I don't want to steal the thunder of the controller, but there was an audit performed uh, of these bond funds, $86.6 million, and the auditor found 100% were spent in accordance with the voter authorization. So I think that's incredibly good work, and it should give this committee and the citizens a, a vote of confidence that, that funds are being spent for, for what they voted on. So I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Robert. Yeah, thanks hey, for recognizing that. Hey, Jennifer. Um, quick question as well. Could you tell us or remind us, as it were, about the HOPE SF line item in your second bond issuance? What's the scope of those projects? Um, which sites and which, which kinds of projects? So um, we actually changed approach on that. That HOPE SF was, was a concept uh, to fund through the bond program um, that was brought forward when we first started. As we looked into it a little bit more deeply, we re realized that we didn't have a mechanism by which we could transfer the funds to the developers out there, and so there was a swap of funds, um, and so we kept the, the bond funds in the program, and that moved over to paving. So we've just done an, an additional, I forget how many hundreds of blocks as a result of that. Hope SF received general fund funds to complete their work. Okay. I'm not sure I understand that. Um, do my... <laughs> Fellows feel like they understand what that means. Do you want to make a follow-up question? Well, um, if if I understand it, it, it was determined that bond funds could not be right. used for that purpose, and so they replaced those bond funds with general fund money, so the project hope didn't lose any funds, and they reprogrammed the bond funds to street resurfacing projects. Okay, that's correct. So it was just kind of like a swap, a swap of. Sources. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for explaining. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah. Well, just for clarity, Hope SF is a housing is a is, is a housing program. Correct. Okay. So the development required infrastructure improvements. So similar to the paving projects oh. we were doing, the idea was we were going to fund the construction of the street infrastructure, whether it was water, sewer, and paving structure. Thank you. <clears throat> Other questions? Then we'll open it up for public comment. Hearing none, we can move on to the next agenda item. Item four, presentation from the SFMTA about the 2014 transportation and road improvement general obligation bond and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation. Oh, well, then, before we start, should the liaison make its report, however brief it would be, or should we wait till after the, the, the staff members are done making theirs? 
Okay. Yes. We'll be brief in any event. It, it's our time to do it. Right, Brent. Thanks again. Good morning, committee and Chair Larkin, members of the committee. I'm Monique Webster with the SFMTA. Let's see, get this started here. So, the, um, as a brief overview, the 2014 Transportation and Road Improvement General Obligation Bond um, is a $500 million GEO bond authorized by the voters in 2014 for the purpose of providing improved transit and safer streets in San Francisco and toward closing a gap of $6.6 billion in unmet transportation needs for San Francisco needed through the year 2030. The bond funds a wide variety of transportation improvements under the eight investment categories that are shown on the slide. And the first issuance was completed in July 2015 for a little bit under $70 million. And the funds that come from that issuance are indicated here on this slide with the blue hash, hash marks, the bar with the blue hash marks. Um, and uh, the current issuance is funding four of the eight categories, with the largest portion going towards the Muni Forward Rapid Network improvements. So this first issuance funds a total of 20 projects, and as of the first quarter of this fiscal year, five of the 20 projects are under construction. Five projects had schedule updates during this quarter that we'll go into a little bit more detail on later in the presentation. A new project was added under the Muni Forward Rapid Network category, which was the El Terravel Rail and Overhead Replacement Project, which is the first project listed here. Um, and I'll note that there have been no change orders to any of the projects to date. Um, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Sean Kennedy, uh, who will be talking about the project highlights, milestones, and challenges uh, to date. Thank you, Monique. Um, so my name is Sean Kennedy. I'm the Transit Planning Manager uh, at the SFMTA. And uh, part of my duties include uh, delivery of the Muni Forward program. And so I wanted to run through um, a few, few examples of, of where we are. Um, first off, uh, some highlights. Um, just want to talk about a few projects um, in the different phases of the design process um, and the delivery uh, cycle. Um, first off, Sansom Contraflow Lane. Uh, this is uh, um, actually already completed, up and running um, on Sansom Street. It's about a three-block stretch. Uh, currently, or, or originally, Sansom Street was just uh, uh, northbound, three travel lanes northbound, and we modified that um, to have a one, uh, one lane coming southbound for buses and delivery vehicles. Um, basically, that saves the 10 and 12 uh, lines, Muni lines, about three minutes uh, per trip. Uh, which obviously adds up quite a bit uh, over the course of the day. Um, very exciting project, and, and like I said, it's already up and, uh, up and running. Um, second uh, example, 14 Mission, the Intermission. Um, it's, uh, we, we, we implemented that project um, in April, um, or since uh, made some, some tweaks based on community feedback. Uh, but the project itself is, is performing wonderfully. We, um, we're reducing automobile or, and, and muni accidents by 80% 
along that stretch of the corridor. Um, that was our highest accident stretch in the entire Muni system was those, those blocks um, on Mission Street there. Um, and the, the average uh, person uh, travel delay, people are, people are telling us they're saving, they think, 10 minutes in travel time. Um, and in reality, it's around the two-minute mark. But uh, really impressive from, a, from a just overall feeling. People just feel it's faster, feel it's safer. Um, and and the, the, uh, our metrics are showing that as well. Um, 9 San Bruno, 11th and Bayshore. Uh, this project um, is currently being constructed. It's ongoing right now. Um, NTP was, was, uh, was, was done in June and, and construction started late July. Um, they've already done a couple bulbs, uh, one there on Bayshore right in front of the, uh, uh, right, right by the overpass um, as, it, as it's moving on into Potrero there has already been completed and they're moving down the corridor. Um, and then um, a project that is, is just moving in the, into the detailed design phase, the El Terravel. Um, it, was, it was just uh, presented and, and approved by the MTA board September 20th, um, so a few weeks ago. We'll bring a huge safety impact uh, to the corridor, which is the Vision Zero corridor um, itself, and has seen 46 people um, hit by automobiles in that 30-block uh, stretch over the last five years. So the projects um, that, are, that are included in the Muni Forward um, um, goal and project is not just uh, improving transit reliability and safety, but also pedestrian safety um, and reliability as well. Uh, so, want to talk for two minutes about safer streets. Um, Better Market Street um, is 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 progressing well. We're we're doing some additional um, work on uh, utilities and, and and finding where those are located before we we start the major construction work there. Um, pedestrian improvements all over the city. Um, are, are, are moving forward. New, new signals as well as countdown timers um, on the high injury corridor network um, is, is happening in, in 2017, early 2017. Um, and, uh, and the Geary pedestrian improvements um, are, are moving along through the design process uh, as well. Um, and Monique will come back to that slide, but I did want to, before she jumps back in here, I did want to talk for a minute about some of the challenges we're facing. Um, you know, obviously these are huge projects. Um, and I just wanted to go over uh, five specific uh, examples on where we've changed the timeline um, that you'll note in the, in the report. Um, one is on the Enjudo, um, Arguello, uh, Arguello to uh, Ninth, basically, um, portion of the street. Um, it's uh, in a larger DPW repaving contract that, that goes all the way out to, I think, 35th or something. Um, uh, and this is just a small, small segment of that. Um, but we, we had some, uh, we needed to do some additional work with the community on identifying um, an accessible platform and trying to develop what that will look like. They, they, wanted, they had some specific design considerations they wanted brought into the process. And so we worked with them on, on how that design will look and, 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 and before we move forward into the, into the actual contracting. Um, Five Fulton, um, this is uh, basically between Sixth and Market. Um, it is uh, it's a is a portion of the project that we um, we've done a number of improvements on, dating all the way back to 2013 when we we added the Fulton Limited service, and now it's called the Fulton Rapid Five Five Rapid um, overlay service to improve crowding or reduce crowding rather. Um, and this 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 project um, also includes some traffic signals, a few traffic circles, which um, is very unique uh, in the in the Rapid network. Um, and then also some bus bulbs, pedestrian bulbs, things like that. Um, it was put out to bid a couple months ago. We only received um, a single uh, bid uh, on that, and it was actually that, and that bid was uh, deemed non-compliant. So we're rebidding that process, and um, so it's probably about a four-month delay to get um, to get that um, 
project back, back on track. Uh, the 14 mission, uh, as I mentioned, um, there's been some community tweaks, and so um, there's, there's still um, a little bit of curb work left to be done, uh, both in the near term, um, and then there'll be a little bit more um, uh, longer term curb work in 2017 that will, that will happen to essentially complete and finish that project. Um, the 22 Fillmore um, church overhead, uh, changes the overhead at church in Dubose, very confusing um, intersection, very complicated. Uh, they need to do a lot of design work to fix the wires um, up there. And we've actually changed the delivery method. Originally, we were going to do this um, in-house, but due to other work and, um, and, and, uh, and, and other priorities in-house, we're now, um, I think, going to be um, going out to bid for that work. And so um, that, that kind of changes the timeline. Um, and last one, 30 Stockton um, overhead work. Uh, this involves moving the terminal, so uh, in the marina area, and we need to basically to reverse the loop, um, uh, require us to, to impact some parking right there at the elementary school. And we were not able to do that outreach uh, before school got out to let out in the summer. So we're going to be starting that outreach now, but um, it caused a delay just because we didn't want to um, try to do outreach around something that would affect the school uh, during the summer months when you know nobody nobody's at the school and people are in and out of town. So um, that's the that's the quick gist. Be glad to take questions. I know uh, Monique has a few more slides to go over as well. So another uh, milestone that we wanted to bring to your attention that occurred during this quarter was the update of our or the adoption of our capital improvement program. Uh, which we update every two years. Uh, the uh, MTA board was uh, or adopted our new CIP in July, and uh, it runs through the year 2021, includes 255 projects, and totals $3.4 billion uh, from a variety of sources, including the general obligation bond. Um, through the CIP development process, we, uh, we placed an emphasis on complete streets projects that improve safety for pedestrians and cyclists. And the first and subsequent issuances of this bond uh, go to support critical infrastructure projects and programs to eliminate traffic deaths by the year 2024, which is um, otherwise known as the city's Vision Zero policy. So for the overall expenditure picture, um, as of the end of June 2016, approximately $7.7 .7 million has been expended from the first bond issuance, or about 12% of the funds, um, and $10 million encumbered. So the total amount of expended and encumbered funds is uh, about $18 million, or 27% of the funds. Uh, we are seeing that <coughs> expenditures are picking up as projects move into construction. And that concludes our presentation. Thank you. Um. Any questions from the committee members? Oh, well, I was going to let you ask the staffers questions first before we went. So, if there was... well, well, I'll, I'll start by um, by making two comments. Um, um, I am an assigned liaison to um, to this bond, and um, Chair Larkin and I met with uh, Monique and her team. And uh, Monique is new in this role, um, but um, I have every confidence that um, she's going to be very um, responsive to our questions. Um, we had a very detailed meeting, um, and Monique brought um, two of her staff members to attend. 
I went away with the feeling of that I felt comfortable even at this early stage that we're expending a, a, a small portion of the fund, but they seem to be rather steady, if you will, the pace of, of spend. Um, I just have two observations from the meeting that I'd like to share. Um, first of all is that uh, I think they, they appear to be very sensitive in the timing of the actual projects covered under the fund with other partners, for example, DBW. So I think that is, um, that is a sensitive issue because overall it increases the efficiency of, of the funds spent. Um, unfortunately, sometimes it may lead to delays, but I think that they are aware of the timing of those issues and trying to achieve a high overall efficiency um, from their perspective. Um, and this, the second observation that I have is that um, while it is always um, good to solicit public comment, I think that is a, um, that is a procedure that all departments, including this one, needs to be sensitive about um, and plan and time the solicitation of public comment um, to be reasonable but yet to not um, compromise the actual timing of the, of the projects planned. So I just have those two comments. And I, I, I feel confident, uh, based on our first meeting, that uh, Monique, as the coordinating man manager, um, has things under control. And her staff members, um, including Sean Kennedy, whom we have met with before, seems to have a very good hold of what's happening and what project. So thank you. Thank you. Well, I'll follow up on what Brenda just said. As she said, we both met with the, the MTA staffers on the 15th of last month. Um, I think it was Monique who told us that generally she'll give us financial information, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the, the bond expenditures, as well as report a report, what I think you were calling a qualitative report that included schedule, budget, and a more of a narrative report on what's going on with the different programs. Um, I am interested in schedule, especially that's the background that I bring to this committee, so that's the thing that poor Monique is going to have to put up with for the next two years or so. But so far, the schedule looks good. Um, I'm, Pardon me, I didn't hear any terrible schedule issues. Uh, Brenda mentioned the, one, the, the issue, the possible problem of coordinating with other agencies. I know coordination is always the most difficult thing to do on any kind of project, and a public sector is no exception, especially in a, when there's a large city government such as San Francisco has, which is both a city and county, which doesn't make it any easier. Um, the only question I had, I think, of her and the staffers was, the relatively high overhead rate that I perceived that there was for, I think, MTA staffers and the difference between what MTA would have for similar level staff members in the way of overhead and um, DPW, for example. And I think the answer that I got, as I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, Monique, was there are different ways. The, the two agencies use different ways of calculating their overhead rates. One includes things that the other does not. And it was at that point that I backed off. <laughs> accepted that answer. So with that as our liaison report, I will turn this over to other committee members, and I'm going to let Jennifer go first. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so regarding community input, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how you've managed 
um, some of the blowback to the 14 mission TPP. Uh, your notes on page seven say you made adjustments to accommodate some of the feedback you got from the community. I'm just wondering if you could characterize that a little more fully. Sure. Uh, so um, we met, uh, we, we've had continuing ongoing discussions with um, specific stakeholders uh, in the community along the corridor and then held another, um, uh, essentially, uh, I guess you'd categorize it as a public hearing um, on the corridor after it was already implemented or after the red lanes um, mm -hmm. and, the, and the turn restrictions were implemented. Um, you know, it's been several months uh, since April, roughly, that, that, was, that those projects were implemented. And um, since that time, we've been gathering data, looking at both community interests and, and, and concerns about that, that project, um, as well as our own kind of what's working, what's not working from a technical standpoint. Um, and we've, we, so we, we've tweaked a few things based on all those kind of um, our technical analysis and, and community feedback and what they don't think is working and is working and includes um, removing two of the six northbound right turn, uh, uh, forced right turns. Mm. So at 22nd and 26th, we're removing um, those two forced right turns, um, essentially keeping intact the, uh, I guess you'd say, uh, the, the southern border of the project and the northern border so that um, the idea is you still have access to all of the shops. Um, you can still park in front of your favorite shop, for instance, if you want, um, on mission, um, but you just can't drive straight up and down the whole corridor on mission without being forced off. But we, we, the original project, the idea was every two blocks we do that, and now we're doing it every four, essentially, um, in that corridor. So um, we did that, and we also um, heard from the taxi, um, taxi community that you know, we, we had put in no left turns um, all up and down the corridor, basically in response to Vision Zero, and, um, and we know that left turns is one of the leading cause of pedestrian injuries, and so uh, we had put in no lefts. Um, the taxi industry uh, felt, felt very strongly that you know, they should be exempt from, from those no lefts, so um, in looking at it, we, we, we really didn't feel comfortable um, from a safety standpoint in, in allowing no lefts at every intersection, but we did release um, and allow for now a, a no left turn except for taxis at 21st Street. So at 21st, um, they're allowed to take lefts um, to kind of try to help them help with that, um, you know, getting across uh, the, the the no left uh, zone. So um, those are those are a few things. And one final thing, we talked with our operators themselves um, and um, moved a, a location of a of a bus stop um, slightly. We we wanted it um, kind of on the other side of the block and, and they said it really worked better when it was originally in the near side of the block. So um, we, we changed that as well. So those are, the, those are the changes that we've made to Mission Street based on kind of our own analysis and also hearing from operators, hearing from the public. That's great. I really commend you on your management of that project. I know it was one of the toughest and most important MTAs done in the last cycle. Um, I wonder also that some of the metrics you've shared with us um, that show such improved safety and reliability already. Are you finding a good way to, to share those with the community members concerned? Great question. Uh, so we, um, I, I mean, I think the answer to that probably in, in general is yes, but you know, we always want, it never feels like we can get enough of that, that good information out there, but we've been doing um, everything from uh, kind of social media tweeting and, and Facebook posts uh, at the MTA to, um, of course, letting people know. Uh, all the stakeholders get emails and things like that. Anybody that's come to our meetings get, get emails about all the great positive stuff that's, that, that we're seeing out there. Um, so we, we are trying to push that out there. Um, it, 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 uh, it, we 
like to get even more of that information out there, and so we're looking at other ways to do that. Maybe um, doing something specific on the corridor that says, you know, hey, we're meeting these goals, type of type of flyer and effort and things like that, signs. But um, yeah, we're 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 trying to get that out there as much as possible. Okay. Well, thank you for your work and your presentation. Robert. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the presentation and a couple of questions are. On page three, uh, where you have the original uh, bond uh, amounts and projects, <clears throat> either on this page or what I'd like to see is expenditures at this level of detail. It's not, I know there's way more detail, but at least at this level, because if you go to page eight, where you do have expenditures, they're somewhat Summarize. So I think a little more detail would be very helpful either on this page or on page eight. If you could go to the level that's on page three, is you think that's possible next time? Yeah, we can certainly provide that at that level. Okay, that would be very helpful yeah. for me anyway. Okay. And then uh, on page four, and this may be Sean, again, and this is taking off from what Jennifer on the, the good statistics coming out, I've sort of been advocating that at least in the reporting to this committee that some of that documentation start to be presented. And I, I appreciate the verbal, the three minute savings on the Sansom, uh, the number 10 and 12 and two minutes, I think I heard on 14. Yeah. But in the, at least maybe in the more detailed report, I think if that's, if you can start documenting that in that report, because that's a real important thing on the on the bond issues, showing that there are improvements, and also on safety too. If there's any kind of metrics on reduced injuries, reduced accidents, reduced deaths, or whatever, I think would be very, very beneficial. And and I don't again, I don't like when you say there's a two-minute savings. So was there some? Is there data Muni has that said on average yeah. it used to be 25 minutes, now it's 23 minutes, yeah. or Something like that. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. We, we do have that. So, and also, uh, we'll also put in the uh, perception surveys they're showing. Yeah, I mean, because getting that information out, I think, is, yeah, is generally Excellent. real important. Okay. Oh, just one last question. I would, I was, I, my ears kind of went up when on the five Fulton when we had only one bidder and that was non-responsive. Do you think that's an indication that the bidding climate has gotten really the, the contractors are all busy, or uh, have you figured out how you're going to solve that? Uh, so uh, I, I do think that, that it has to do with that it's pretty busy right now. Um, unfortunately, this, this particular contractor just wasn't aware of, of basically the LBE requirement. Uh -huh. And so we made that uh, much more uh, obvious to them uh, as, as what that meant and what, what they needed to do to comply. Um, so we're assuming that they're gonna, they're, they will be reapplying and then, um, or, or rebidding, re um, and then uh, we are uh, trying to more proactively um, engage some of the contractors and saying, hey, you know, this work's coming. It would be great if you, you know, could, could, could see to apply, apply for this work. So we're trying to proactively gather some people together, but, um, I, but it is a, a busy climate right now. So, okay, thank you very much, Kevin. And on that. If you have one responsive or responsible bidder, does that satisfy the com competitive bid requirements? Do you have to have three? That I don't know. Did you, okay. Um, you do not. I, uh, 
Okay. I, I don't think yeah, it's I don't a requirement. That. I think that it's the, the, the agency can reject it if it's a single bid, and they'll have to change the scope and, and ask to rebid. But on the other hand, I don't think there's a statutory requirement that there be more than one. You have to allow have more to, than <laughs> one, but if the people don't show up, they don't show up. Yeah. It's, that's, that's, that's correct, and I think uh, Mr. Hughes may be remembering for certain low-dollar value bids in the city, certainly not construction projects where, like we're talking about. There's a requirement that one obtain three informal yeah. bids for work under $25,000. Anything we're talking about in this part of the world is going to have a competitive bid requirement, but it won't require that you receive multiple bids. But as the chair is indicating, if you do receive one bid, the city does have the ability to to kind of proceed back out to bid if required for various reasons. And Muni Forward, is that sort of a retitled TEP? The yeah, it is. Yes, sir. Uh, I meant exactly. to say that. I'm sorry. Yes, sir. <laughs> it's a, uh, it is a, it's a retitled. It's a, um, we, we, we just felt as we were moving into the implementation stage, the TEP, uh, very bureaucratic sounding and, and, and much more uh, plenary, plenaresque, and so we tried to uh, come up with a, uh, you know, a really exciting, beauty forward, uh, you know, punchline. So yeah, it's exactly it's, the, it's implementing the TEP is essentially what it is. Portions of the TEP. Portions and and, okay. and adding Vision Zero. So when the TEP was done, there wasn't a, such a thing as Vision Zero, but we're adding that into the into the mix uh, on beauty forward corridors as well. Okay, and the TEP anticipated a number of things because here we've got, and we understand that TEP was much broader than. And this is where I get a little bit confused. So on page three, we've got Muni forward budget, funds to be allocated, 561, 333. That's Muni forward budget. Yes. So, so and also, and given what we've just described, and, and also on page eight, we've got Muni forward rapid network improvements. So, well, let me just ask you, first of all, the Muni Forward Rapid Network Improvements, and in that world of the TEP, we had bus rapid transit. That would not be inside this, this uh, entry of Muni Forward Rapid Network Improvements, correct? Correct, correct. Uh, so, um, uh, how do I, so, Muni Forward and what was it categorized at in the TEP um, is, this, is, is, is transit priority projects and improvement projects um, on the street but we wouldn't call those uh, necessarily brt they're not it's not a, as a level of uh, van s for instance so van s uh, brt is not in the gear in the muni forward uh, program that's a separate uh, standalone item and so to find out what's in the muni forward uh, rapid network improvements we would find that someplace I'm sure oh oh yes sir uh i mean um one, one place is on page three, uh, goes through the specific projects that we're talking about okay. um, in, the, in, the, okay. in the suite of projects. Very good. Thank you. That's very helpful. And so when we say the Muni forward budget uh, funds to be allocated, that is, tell me what that is. Yeah, so that's uh, so that's that's sort of a, a holding account where we are holding money that are set aside for Muni Forward projects. But until the projects are ready to get underway or need additional funding, we wait to move the funding into those projects until they're ready to go. So that okay. that's what that represents, okay. and that never has been uh, you know shrinking over time as the projects have been moving forward. So. Okay. 
And then, um, you know, we talked about certain improvements, and some of them are like uh, pedestrian uh, handicap ramping for, for sidewalks and what have you. And so they're concrete, and typically once they're done, they're pretty much done. There's, there's some maintenance involved, but not much. So when we talk about like pedestrian count, countdown mm -hmm. signal heads and adding them, and we talk about SF Go and the infrastructure related to that. So after the capital improvement dollars are spent and, um, and that infrastructure is improved, when you get into this type of infrastructure, there's going to be, unlike concrete that is poured and relatively finished and done, uh, there's going to be maintenance. And do you anticipate after the cap, how does the SFMTA anticipate after the capital improvement expenditures, the ongoing maintenance costs? Yeah, that, those are budgeted in our operating budget and our plan for, um, you know, as, as the needs go up or down. Now, I, I don't know for certain that the actual costs are going to increase above our current maintenance costs for, uh, for signals uh, because, you know, we might assume that the technology may make it more expensive, but actually the maintenance costs may also go down. But I, I, I don't know for sure, but it is all accounted for in our operating budget. So in the event that the capital improvement, if that piece isn't there uh, adequately, with certain infrastructure, this being one of them, um, there's a loss of value in that improvement. You know, if you don't maintain um, fiber optic cable, uh, all, the, all the countdown systems related to all the signaling that we've just discussed here, and it's a lot of it. This isn't small. Um, then it deteriorates over time. So I, I just, and I'm sure the SFMTA knows that, and I'm sure the, the good people in Sustainable Streets uh, mentioned to the people in Sonali's shop uh, projected additional needs as, as it relates to those capital improvements. Correct? Correct. Correct. Thank you. Other questions? Um, I just want a clarification on the item under pedestrian safety improvements. There's a Geary item, and it says part of the Geary Bus Rapid Transit Phase One project. And I'm assuming that's not the same thing John Thomas was talking about at Geary and Park Presidio, because the numbers right. are different. It's different, and the description sounds different too. Um, on, I have some real specific questions on the Fulton project and probably a little bit on the Geary thing. I don't want to bother the committee with it. Can I get your contact information, Sean? You can leave yes. it with someone else. Yes, sir. That'll be fine. Yep. All right. Um, if there are no further comments, then I'll open this up to public comment. Good morning. My name is Jerry Drattler. I have two questions. How is the MTA factored in self-driving vehicles and private shuttle services into their recently approved five-year capital plan, specifically unmet transportation needs and fleet infrastructure expenditures? And should these emerging solutions be a filter applied to future capital expenditures to ensure new expenditures have a reasonable useful life? My second question, Commissioner Larkin's observation that MTA and DPW use two different methods of calculating overhead for capital projects, and the MTA amount is much greater than the DPW method. 
why does the city lack a standard for calculating the amount of capitalized city department overhead costs? Is it wise to let each city department make this determination? This practice seems inconsistent with Siegelbach's mission to ensure that bond fund expenditures are proper. This practice imposes a potential burden to review the capitalized overhead costs of each department involved in a general obligation bond project. Thank you. Other questions from the public? Then I'll consider that we are done with this item and move on to the next. <clears throat> item five, presentation from the Recreation and Parks Department <clears throat> about the following bonds and possible action by the committee in regard to such presentation. 2000 Neighborhood Park Bond, 2008 Clean and Safe Park Bond, 2012 Clean and Safe Neighborhood Park Bonds. Good morning, GOBAC members. Dawn Cumulan-Avin, Planning and Capital Director for the San Francisco Recreation and Parks Department. I'm joined here today by Antonio Guerra, our Finance Officer in our Capital Division, and David Beaupre from the Port. Uh, very brief presentation today, uh, just to demonstrate, I think, actually some fairly significant progress across all of our bond programs. Uh, for the 2000 bond, we have $700,000 left of this bond. We have programmed it, finished projects, then had still another little balance that we then roll forward to solve another problem in an effort to keep spending down those funds. Um, there's three projects that are open on the 2000 bond, the Fay House Stabilization Project, Randall Museum, and Alamo Square Restroom, all of which are scheduled to be completed in February 17. So, at that point, the last few pennies of this bond program should be completed. Uh, 2008 bonds, similar progress. 98% of the bond is spent or encumbered. Um, most of the funds that are remaining are in some of our smaller rolling programs, like trails, forestry, and the Community Opportunity Fund, which also, the, latter, the last of which also has some philanthropic partnerships. So we're trying to time the expenditure of our bond funds in collaboration with philanthropic gifts, and that always uh, requires some coordination. Um, but we are moving forward in all of those projects, and recent staff investments on the operations side should also make expenditure of the trails and forestry program funds um, easier. Uh, for the 2012 bond, uh, of our $62 million issued for the neighborhood parks, this, this um, slide focuses on our, our major neighborhood parks, which are kind of our core commitments of the bond. Um, there are also other rolling programs here. But of those $62 million, about um, $47 million, $50 million is spent or encumbered. And you can see with the blue that most of these projects are well underway and in construction. Margaret Hayward is kind of our next big project that um, needs to go into construction. We've been coordinating with the Department of Emergency Management as well as several other tenants there to try and figure out how to move forward in that while also making sure that we're not displacing or disrupting um, core city businesses. Um, I think when we, we look at the, the schedules um, for the 2012 bond, also making steady progress here. A few other notes is we've, um, 
launched recently a, a large philanthropic campaign for the Playgrounds program, uh, which will be bringing in an additional $10 million to leverage against the 15 and a half that's been allocated for the from the bond. And that has taken some time to launch, but we are actually finally in the beginning of fundraising and making some good progress there. And um, we have launched two of the playground projects, Merced Heights and um, Washington Square. And those projects are actually, we're headed into our third community meeting, so we hope to be moving forward with concept plans um, in the next few months shortly. We've also, importantly, hired an additional, or are hiring an additional three project managers uh, to add to our team. And with that, we hope to bring the workload down to four projects each for each one of the PMs. And we, we are pretty confident this has been a long-standing desire on our part. We've finally been able to um, complete those recruitments. And this should put us in a very strong position, I think, to move forward in focusing on delivering the remainder of 2012 bond projects over the next few years. Uh, some important next steps uh, for the Recreation and Park Department, and then I'll turn it over to my colleagues at the port. Uh, next steps. With the passage of a baseline measure this past summer, the department has undertaken our first truly comprehensive analysis of the department's deferred maintenance needs. And we've convened an internal working group, which includes staff from all uh, divisions, from the operations side and from capital, to try and figure out a couple of things. One, how we'd like to replace Comet, which was an extraordinarily valuable investment made in 2007, the department's first comprehensive asset inventory that not only listed, gave us our comprehensive list of all of our facilities, but also gave a condition assessment. We'd like to do that again. Um, it, the data that we've had has been very valuable, but it is now outdated. It's 10 plus years old. Um, and so we're thinking about what kinds of products might be best for us to store this information and also how we'd like to hire engineering teams to do another condition assessment. Um, also, in, importantly, we have a, uh, a structural maintenance yard, which up until now has been almost 100% reactive um, to emergencies, largely emergencies and then critical life safety infrastructure issues. Um, we want to make a shift with the addition of some new resources from the baseline to being more proactive around our deferred maintenance needs and particularly focusing on some core asset classes like recreation centers, freestanding restrooms, and playgrounds. But this analysis we think is going to take, this is going to be like a, a 12 to 18 month project easily. And so we, we ask for your patience, but we do think at the end of this we will have um, a, a data set that will guide not only investment of the baseline, but also hopefully our next bond planning, which is right now scheduled for November 18. Um, I talked a little bit about hiring. Um, for FSP, this is famous conversion that is happening hopefully or roughly about a year from now. Oh, sorry. Famous, okay. Famous is the city's accounting system of record. It is under, it's basically, <laughs> it's, it's underneath everything we do. If our, uh, the analogy I, or the metaphor I use for a capital program is an airport and then all our projects are planes in the air, like Famous is how we're tracking care of, keeping track of the fuel every day. Um, it lets us track all of our expenditures and our capital projects. Um, and the subtle details of how we structure that accounting system have huge implications for delivery and efficiency of delivery of our projects. 
um, before we move to a new system in about a year, our goal is to close out in the financial system as many projects as possible so that we don't have to basically port that data and figure out how to port it into the new system. Um, many of our projects, we have tons of projects that have been substantially complete, but which have, you know, $100 left in them, $1,000. And we want to spend this year going through and collecting basically all those pennies under the couch cushions, so to speak. And we're hopeful that this is a huge labor lift, by the way, in terms of accounting staff. But at the end of the year, it should leave us with completely clean books about our old bonds and position us to be focused um, very intently on 2012 bonds in our active portfolio going forward. So we'll be able to put a very nice, I think, clean, crisp bookend on really a decade's worth of work. So uh, it's a huge lift, but it's a really important project for everyone, least of all for the city controller. So with that, I'll turn it over to David Beaupre um, to talk about the port program. Thank you, Don. Uh, board members, David Beaupre with the Ports Planning and Development Division, uh, here to present on both the 2008 and 2012 bonds. Uh, Don's helping me pull this up. Uh, in the 2008 bonds, we have two projects that remain, Crane Cove Park and the uh, Bayview Gateway Art Project. The Art Project through the Arts Commission uh, is running that project. The, the actual sculpture is in fabrication and will be delivered early next year. On Crane Cove Park, which we're utilizing both 2008 and 2012 bonds, um, the Port Commission awarded the first bid package last week, so that project will be under construction um, later this year in the next month or so with a completion estimated for early 2018. And so here's an illustration of that, that significant park. It'll be ultimately about a, um, as a part of the, the first phase of the project will be about a $32 million new park, about a five acre park. Um, we're also extending 19th Street to the east. This is uh, directly south of the ramp restaurant, so generally between Mariposa Street on the north and uh, 19th Street on the south, just east of Illinois Street. So it'll be a, a flagship park for the city, for the port, uh, and for the region, and we're pretty excited about it. That's just, again, a summary of the, the spend down in the last remaining projects from the 2008 bond. And then from the 2012 bond, again, we have Crane Cove Park. Uh, we have Agua Vista Park, which is in design. That's directly adjacent to the Mission Bay Bayfront Park in Mission Bay. It's, uh, we're designing it in coordination with the Office of Community Investment and Infrastructure, who has a new six-acre park going directly adjacent to it. It's right across the street from the Future Arena and is a part of some uh, realignment of Terry Francois Boulevard. So there's a lot of uh, close coordination with that agency and MTA as well to deliver that park. And then the last one is uh, the Islayest Creek improvements between uh, Tennessee Street and Third Street, and that project is also in the design phases. And that concludes my report. Thank you. Is there someone else going is, is that the report from both of you? You're, you're, you're done. Okay. So, Robert, you had a question. <clears throat> yeah, I'm the liaison for this uh, bond report. And, uh, you know, I've met with staff in the past uh, in the offices, and uh, I'm very confident of the work that 
Don and, and the port, uh, David, do in keeping on budget. Uh, this bond fund in particular, the voter authorization, is, has been very specific on projects and budgets, and, and they do a great job uh, delivering these projects fairly, uh, per, even better now on, on schedule, on budget. So this time, rather than meet, I set up a uh, tour of one of the uh, rec park bonds, uh, the uh, West Sunset Playground, which I think is about $13 million. It might be the largest project. And it just was beginning. Uh, they were under demolition. Uh, the tour was given by Dan Maurer, the project manager on that. Uh, I think he's an exceptional pro project manager. And it was just really great to go out and see the work, understand the scope. It's uh, over 15 acres, maybe close to 17 acres, that park. It's got to be one of the largest. It's surrounded by three schools in the city. And I actually had a personal interest because my son kind of grew up playing baseball out there. So seeing what they're planning to do and the improvements out there was, is really, really rewarding. And I really encourage uh, all the members of committees, if you can get out and see some projects, you'll, you'll be very impressed. And I just want to thank Dawn and, and her staff for making that happen. I also had a tour scheduled with David out at the Crane Cove Park, because that clearly is the largest project for them under, this bond, under the 2008 and 2012 bond funds. And it has had some significant delays. But I was very pleased to learn that it's now uh, the first phase is under construction. I had to cancel my tour, but I'm going to reschedule with David in the next couple of weeks. And it's going to be interesting to see that project before it gets started and then come back, you know, months later and see it under construction. So, again, I want to thank David uh, for making that possible, and I'll be contacting you uh, for that tour. That ends my report. You've been warned. <laughs> Other questions? All right. Then I'll open it up to public comment. Seeing none, we can move on to the next agenda item. Item six, response from the Mayor's Office of Housing to the committee questions at the July 28, 2016 Gobach meeting. Good morning. Uh, Kate Hartley, Deputy Director of the Mayor's Office of Housing. Uh, we received written questions from the committee and we did reply in writing. Um, we don't have an additional presentation to make at this time, but we did want to appear and answer any questions you might have as follow-up. Thank you. And Larry um, Bush isn't here. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate that Commissioner Bush isn't here since many of these are his questions. I know you shared them with him in various ways, and uh, Mr. Bush and I will be meeting with Ms. Hartley and her team later this week, so we'll have a chance to have a follow-up conversation that way. Um, I just want to thank you for the clarity of your responses here. It is really helpful to have them in writing, especially some of the definition of terms um, for those of us still getting up to speed in the language of housing, which I think is is probably most of us and most of um, the public, since this is such a unique kind of bond program. Um, I, 
I guess I, I still feel like we are going to be looking for more um, metrics of the sort that have been suggested by me and, and Robert and Mr. Bush and, and Mr. Manet Shah, um, net new units uh, gained or preserved, people housed, their income levels. Um, actually, I'd love to ask uh, Robert to share a, an article that he dug out of the Chronicle that I think um, gets at some of the just storytelling that we're hoping to do around um, the impact of the bond program for the layperson. Um, it has, I guess you've um, gone ahead and been able to pick the three projects uh, that you'll be funding under the, the low income housing part of the program um, since we met in July. And uh, this, this article that Robert pulled just tells where those sites are and how many units will be there. Really simple stuff, but I think that's the kind of thing that we're hoping to be able to share um, in future reports with the public. Uh, yes, I do understand that is the intent of the committee, and we are more than happy to create whatever um, metrics that you would like. I think at the beginning of this bond program, it's a little difficult because, as we've talked about before, um, we take our funds and then we leverage them with other funds, and um, the final budgeting for the, for the projects is uh, determined in some part by market conditions at that time. But now we have um, identified developers for our low-income housing um, first round of funding, and so we've got unit counts that we can attach to those projects. Um, we have a, a, a better sense of exactly the number of units in that category of funds that we'll um, be able to produce with the developer's assistance. So. Um, it is a work in progress, but as we move forward in time, we will have much more specificity. Great. Thank you, Ms. Hartley. So, yeah, on that point, you know, I find this, this report that was in your uh, response, recent response to us and in previous submittals, to be a good starting point in terms of budget and project. It's called the Housing Geo Bond Spending Proposal First Issuance, and then it it has uh, the listing of projects, the amount, the first estimated first encumbrance, estimated last disbursement, and notes. And so the article that was on September 16th talked about four projects, three of which got three million, uh, one something less than three million. And so I'm guessing those, there's a section down here called low income housing and it has three, three million undefined projects. So I'm guessing three of those four that were in the newspaper might be those three projects now? Yes, um, the low-income housing category that you see, each one with the $3 million pre-development amount, yeah. was what we budgeted at the time before we had our, our projects out there. So their requests um, as they came in were there were some, some variation, as you said, one of the developers didn't ask for the full $3 million. Sure. Um, the fourth one in the article that you're seeing is the Mission Neighborhood Low-Income Housing Project. Now, when we first uh, began working on this, we were hopeful that the $50 million allotted to the mission could generate um, a response for two developments. But we only got one response to the RFP that we issued, and so, or the NOFA, I should say. So that $6 million was um, uh, potentially going to fund two, but now we have one, and they've projected 143 units for that. 
Now we can use those $6 million right now to assist that project. Um, and if we do so, the developer can apply the additional funds to um, pay back the acquisition loan that it took out in order to secure site control and save the city money eventually. So that's what we'll be working with the developer to do. Okay, so the, f the address, they're listed here by ad, 4840 Mission Street. That, that comes, that's going to come out of the $6 million for in the Mission section of this. Um, no, actually 4840 Mission is in the Excelsior neighborhood. Oh, okay. Um, the, the Mission project is 1990 Folsom. 19, okay. And, yeah. and that was the one in the paper that didn't have any units listed. Do you? Uh, that's 143 units. Oh, wow. That's, that's great. So that's the kind of thing then when you do updates, yeah. now you can start to list maybe the project by the address. Mm -hmm. You can list the units that are in here. Absolutely. Okay, that's that's exactly what I'm, you know. Yes, and we will be doing that. And then I would notice that at the top on the portrayal parcel X, mm -hmm. in the notes it does say 72 units, so that's great. As a, again, and I understand these things can change, and right. it, it, but having some starting point is really great. And uh, block B has 94 units. Uh, but I noticed under the, like the Sunnydale projects, there's no units listed. Is there a reason why there's no units? Just, they're just a little bit farther behind than Parcel X, but um, right now we're, we are firming up the Parcel Q um, first. And, six, and 6A and 6B. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, so by the time we come back to you, we'll have unit counts some, for that. Some unit counts. That's, mm -hmm. that's fantastic. And then just uh, another, if I, I just have a few questions. Uh, we have estimated first encumbrance, estimated last disbursement. Are those somewhat tied, those dates, to like when that pre-development work starts and when the pre-development finishes in terms, because what I'm, I was trying to think is there, a, when people propose on these uh, developers, do they give you a schedule for pre-development, for construct, you know, that yes, so vertical I, development, I guess it's called. <laughs> yes. So let's take parcel X as an example. So that um, is in pre-development right now. The first encumbrance was July 2016. Um, that development does expect to break ground in um, December, in November or December of this year. So the last pre-development disbursement will conclude once the construction actually commences and then we move down one row to Petrero parcel X vertical gap now the um, construction funding that you see there the 14 million mm -hmm. will begin uh, when it breaks ground and then by July 2017 we'll have expended on a drawdown basis as is typical in uh, affordable housing development but, but the actual construction might might not be done by July that's right so our money goes out first and then they'll have a construction <laughs> loan and then the construction loan kicks in after our money is expended. In that way, we save construction interest. So I guess what would be interesting is an estimated uh, housing availability. You know, when yes. will that housing be yes. available? If there, we'll, uh -huh. there, we'll add um, unit counts, uh, construction, commencement, completion, and lease updates. Fantastic. And then just one, there was another article in the paper about the, the big mission Bryant. Uh, are any of these bond funds going to be using be used for that project between no. 18th and okay? 
And then just last, uh, Mayor's Office of Housing Costs. Do, do any of the Mayor's Office costs come out of these bond funds for staff time and or consultants? Uh, we do not use uh, we do not use bond funds for staff time. Oh, they okay. are costs of issuance. Yeah, great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Ellen? Uh, thank you, and thank you for the report. So one of the questions I have is, is regards to clarifying or just better understanding one of the answers. And one of the, one of the questions, and I'll paraphrase here, uh, was that essentially um, bond funds would be used in place of or in lieu of um, city dollars to spend on housing uh, for the housing authority developments. And that the response states, uh, and, I, and I think it's a great response, and I think it's important to point out, between, and I'm on page, I'm on the second sheet of page 205 of the response, that between 1617 and fiscal 1819, Mayor's Office of Housing expects to invest a total of $272 million, uh, of which approximately $77 million of project funds will come from bond revenues. And then the big question originally asked was, and those dollars, they come back somehow, some way. And you, your response is, uh, and thank you for this, uh, regarding repayment, as is typical for public lending on affordable housing projects, the bond funds will be issued as residual uh, receipt loans, which requires borrowers to repay the loans in annual installments, et cetera, et cetera. And then it cites the interest rate. So those those dollars are repaid through bonds, and then those dollars wind up in the Mayor's Office of Housing, and they are used again uh, to fund other public housing projects. Correct? That's correct. Thank you. One of the, uh, has the first bond uh, sale occurred, or is it a, it's close, right? Very close. This month. No. Yeah, hey. teams are out there gearing up. That's what I thought. All right. All right. I had one question on, I think this is Mr. Carlson's question on the fourth of, of the five pages here, and it's about the San Francisco residency requirements for placement in housing or homeless households. Um, as I read the response, it sounds to me as though a person never has had to have lived independently in San Francisco in order to qualify for this part of the program. I mean, what they have to show is that over in the past three years, eight months of the time, eight months of the past three years, they have to have had been residents of San Francisco, but the evidence of being a resident of San Francisco is either evidence of receipt of San Francisco public benefits or verification of residence in a shelter or a residential program. So there's no requirement that the person ever have been supporting him or herself in order to qualify for this. No, that's not part of the eligibility criteria. Okay. And do you expect that there may be a change in that after 
the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, Jeff Kaczynski's made his review of, of what's going on? I can't speak for um, Mr. Kaczynski. Um, typically the households that we see come into eligibility for the LOSP subsidies have been independent at some point and uh -huh. usually there's um, some sort of catastrophic event that push many the majority of people into homelessness. Um, there are households that um, struggle with addiction or mental illness, but also, um, and I just know from personal experience working um, uh, with homeless households that there's also job loss, catastrophic health issues, the death of a partner, spouse, child who's helping support the household, and the um, convergence of those things with the huge increases in rent that we've seen in our city mm -hmm. over the last five years or so. Yeah, and so. I think that that's what we're hoping is that the money is going to people like that, as you say, households, local households, residents who have had that happen there, but for the grace of God, go I. Right. But I'm concerned, well, I'm just asking the question is, if someone who is not, has never been a resident of San Francisco, comes here on a bus and gets into these programs, where the money, some of the money from this bond can go to support them? Um, I, I, I actually don't want to speak uh, to that. I mean, I, we, we do um, follow the guidelines of the program, and you've seen the eligibility criteria and laid they, out right. here. Um, I, I'm sure um, Jeff would be happy to come and talk to you about the um, households that his department serves in mm -hmm. greater detail. Um, he's much more of an expert than I, but I can say that um, in my experience, the diversity of households who become homeless in the city is great and that you have, you do have long-term residents who have suffered this catastrophic loss in addition to people coming to San Francisco and people for whom um, there's no safety net and they fall through because of mental illness or addiction. And I'm not challenging you to, to justify them. I'm just questioning if that's what the right. criteria is. Right. All right. Well, maybe I will try to get a hold of Jeff Kaczynski then. Yep. I'm sure he's a busy person. <laughs> Any other questions? Then we'll open this to public comment. Thank you. I'm Patrick Manetshaw. As I reported in my op-ed in the San Francisco Examiner on September 23rd, titled New Commission Might Help Housing Crisis, during your July 28th meeting, MOHCD suddenly changed planned uses of the bond it had presented to you on January 28th. The previous middle-income rental program in the expiring regulations preservation categories vanished. New middle-income teacher housing and new middle-income buy-in programs subcategories suddenly appeared, replete with market rate units, with fund allocations still to be determined. I questioned why 18 months into planning bond uses, the allocation categories keep shifting at MOHCD's sole discretion without any forewarning to go by. Here we go again. On page seven of today's presentation, or the answers to the questions Goldbox had submitted, 
to M08 CD. There's a new table showing how the housing bond fits into M08 CD's overall housing uh, funding strategy. But the new table, once again, doesn't correlate to the revised bond allocations presented to you on July 28th. I'm not surprised by the obfuscation. Where's the metrics? COBOX will be evaluating. They've been developing them for 10 months. COBOX member McNulty questioned on January 28th whether the metrics to assess bond spending will eventually shed light into whether or not we have made the right allocation decisions. McNulty appeared concerned whether the four main categories of bond spending under MOHCD's sole discretion are correct. Why haven't the proposed metrics been developed by now? Where are they? Why hasn't the proposed spending allocations presented on July 28th been updated on how much of these category, those categories will receive, which is totally unclear on page seven of the responses MOACD provided you. This is precisely why I'm strongly advocating the voters pass Prop M on November's ballot to create a commission having oversight of MOACD's sole discretion authority. I'm praying voters agree with me and pass Prop M. I don't presume to speak for GOBOC member Larry Bush, but I found today's MOACD response to questions raised by GOBOC members to be wholly inadequate. All right. Any other questions from the audience, from the public? Then let's move on to the next item. Item seven, opportunity for committee members to comment or take action on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction. There are four. A, GOBOC response to civil grand jury recommendation, maintenance budgeting and accounting challenges for general fund departments. B, GOBOC annual report. C, fiscal year 16-17 GOBOC annual work plan. D, liaison assignment review. All right, well, this is opened up to us. We have those four items that Maura just listed. Let's go down them from the top. Uh, do we want to discuss item A, response to civil grand jury recommendations on maintenance budgeting accounting challenges for general fund departments? I will, um, Mr. Chair, if I could briefly for this item. This is actually one that the committee should act on today. Um, the civil grand jury, as you know, and we distributed to the committee members, the, civil, the most recent seated civil grand jury prepared this report. Uh, the process following up on civil grand jury reports, uh, they forward both findings and recommendations to different bodies in the city. Um, and then those bodies are required to respond back to the chief presiding judge on behalf of the civil grand, or, and to the civil grand jury on the recommendations or findings specific to that body. Um, you have two recommendations that came to GOBOC as part of that report. There were many, many more recommendations and findings that went to our office, the Board of Supervisors, the Mayor, and others in the city. Um, but the two that relate to you are outlined on an attachment in your, um, 
uh, in your, your packets, uh, you can see what those recommendations are on that uh, attachment. And then at the request of the chair, um, our office prepared potential responses for your consideration, which you see in yellow. You should see those as only as staff uh, recommendations to the committee. You should, of course, as independent of us, feel free to take what action you feel is necessary. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to follow up on the introduction I just gave in, in saying that um, Brenda McNulty and I met with, with you <laughs> on, on the 13th of last month. And among the things we discussed was this and the civil grand jury report and the potential, the possible responses to them. And I think Brenda and I thought that they were good. I, I mean, I, I just summarizing for the other committee members, um, the general response or the gist of the response is that this is not in our purview to do the things that they are recommending, that the civil grand jury is recommending to us, and as such, we don't want to volunteer, certainly, and it is not our place to take on that additional responsibility. Is that summarizing it fairly adequately? I think that I think that's fair. The the recommendations really speak to the the two recommendations speak to the GOBOC requesting or requiring that departments present certain information to you and then preparing as part of your annual report a report uh, to the Board of Supervisors and the Mayor as you're required. Uh, those reporting requirements really fundamentally speak to a challenge that GOBOC has talked about before but is fundamentally kind of past your core purview. It speaks to our department's doing a good job of maintaining and investing adequately to maintain assets that they've improved. Um, I think it's certainly within the purview if GOBOC would want to provide commentary or feedback to the mayor and the board of supervisors on these. That's a choice you can make. It's not part of your core admin code or voter required uh, body of work, which fundamentally deals with RGO bonds being delivered in accordance with the voter initiative. Robert? Well, I, yeah, I, I actually uh, totally agree with the draft responses. I think uh, <clears throat> it is outside our current mandate, and I, you know, I think we're, we're, we've got our plate full right now doing what we are doing, uh, and so to take on this additional work, and that's not to say it's, it's not important. a good idea and mm -hmm. a, an important idea for the city per, to pursue. I just don't think we GOBOC uh, should be in that position right at the moment, and I would agree with these draft responses to the two items. Well, I touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, I, I think it's I think it's a ongoing problem that we continue to have capital improvements and fail to address the ongoing maintenance that comes with those capital improvements. But I also agree that it's beyond the purview of the GOBOC to yeah. weigh in on, on that, although, although I think it's reasonable to say that it impacts uh, the life cycle of the capital improvement. Nonetheless, it's outside the authority, in my view, of GOBOC. And I, I'm going to sum up what I'm hearing in my agreement with what I'm hearing from my two fellow committee members here, that these are good ideas without doubt. I don't know that we could do them justice. You know, they're fairly major tasks to look at something as fundamental to the overall success of the city doing its business as these two things. But I don't know that we're the agency, we're the 
group that should be trying to do that. As, as Robert said, we've got a lot going on as it is right now. To add to it would decrease, at least decrease our, decrease our effectiveness in doing our, performing our core functions and probably not increase the amount of, of stewardship that, that the city would see on these items. I mean, maintaining, including in a capital budget ultimate maintenance costs or, or the requirement that maintenance costs be budgeted as, as over the life cycle of, of the project that they're building, that to me is fundamental to city management, to any management of a project. And it's, a, it's, it's something that someone should be doing. I'm just thinking it shouldn't be us. So on that note, um, I'll defer again to the staff. Should we just if, vote if, to recommend that you issue these responses as written? If, if that's a sentiment of the committee that's broadly shared, we could add a sentence at the beginning just noting that Siegobach is concerned that maintenance investments in the city's assets are not sufficient to maintain those assets. However, if, if that is a, a kind of opening that you'd like to indicate that you share kind of a sentiment of the report but not, well, not the specific recommendations as it relates to Gobach. Well, again, I think there's, it's an issue that needs to be looked at and, and determined. I don't, I'm not sure I've seen the evidence that it is inadequate, the maintenance. I mean, there, there clearly is a lot of money spent by the city on maintenance. And, uh, I mean, for example, the new general hospital is going, you know, that is going, I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that that will be maintained. Whether it's adequate, that's one person's idea against another. That takes a lot of study to figure yeah. out what that balance is and then what a community can afford in terms of taxes and everything else. So it's a very complicated, very complicated issue, yep. way beyond me to draw any conclusions. That it should be looked at and, and, and be assessed, I, I agree with that. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far to say that we agree there's a, necessarily a problem. There might be, but I Yeah, I think that would be a good way to phrase it because we don't know that there is. We, there's no reason that we would know that there are such problems. But as I was saying, it's good practice to include in any overall budget maintenance that's commensurate with you know, or money for maintenance that, that's commensurate with capital improvements. If there is a new hospital, for instance, and there's now going to be broader scope, broader requirement for maintenance, well, yeah, that, that's something that city management should be accounting for. And as Robert says, we don't know that they're not, but we agree that they should. Next item. Um, <laughs> yeah, you. Sh oh, we need comment on that. Thank you. <laughs> All right, public comment, please, Mr. Dratler. My name is Jerry Dratler, and I served on Gobach in 2014-15 as the civil grand jury representative. We tried to deal with this, and the, I agree with your conclusion. But I think there's two things that really need to be addressed. First is. Um, there needs to be more disclosure in the bond documents to the citizens as to what the ongoing maintenance is for a project they're being asked to approve. Secondly, I think there's a real well-documented case where the city had, has made a deliberate decision to underfund maintenance, and that deals with road resurfacing and PCI. And during the um, 
economic downturn, there was a, a deliberate decision to underfund that, which resulted in the need for a bond to address multiple years of underfunding. I think one of the ways of potentially addressing this very large issue is to go back to the Board of Supervisors and ask them to deal with some legislation that requires this kind of disclosure for all departments because everyone talks about it and it is a very large um, problem but somebody's got to get their hands around it. And in summary, I think there needs to be more front-end disclosures on new expenditures to make sure that they're properly designed, they're lead certified, they're low cost, and on existing expenditures that there is some kind of citywide disclosure requirement for all city departments that, you know, are they properly funding? You know, we hear in the park presentations, they have a multi-billion dollar unfunded maintenance problem. That didn't happen overnight. Thank you. Other comment? Then let us move on to item B, the annual report. Would you, um, Mr. Chair, if, if oh. appropriate, would be t this would be a good time to act to, to make these recommendations to the civil or, the, or finalize this response to the civil grand jury? Yeah, and I, I thought we agreed to do that. Okay, you should call the question. I oh, then, then let's by all means, my, pardon me. Okay, um, do we agree then that we will amend these draft responses to include the verbiage that we just discussed and issue that response to the civil grand jury's report? Mr. Chair, could I hear the verbiage that we, that the change has been that I, I agree with everything yeah, yeah. that everyone has said there is. Yeah. Not, not putting you on the spot or anything. You know. but, no. How about this? Uh, Segobach believes that study of maintenance investments required to preserve the city's assets should be performed and considered by policymakers. However, so, so I move to uh, uh, accept the uh, 2016 response text, the draft as amended uh, to the recommendation, you know, recommendations of the civil grand jury. And I'll second that. And I have a question on the on the motion. It, it includes Ben's line. Yeah, 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 that, that, yeah. That's, that's what we're saying. Very good. Thank you. As I understood what you were yeah. saying. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we have a motion. We have a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? No. All right. It carries unanimously. That then brings us to item B, the annual report for Gobach, C. Gobach. Gobach Annual Report. Okay. Um, now, we, you sent out, more. you sent out a draft version which was slightly edited version of last year's. And what should we do now to follow up on that? What know, is needed back. now is, is the liaison reports. Okay, so that, that, and that's what I was getting, because we've got liaison reports, well, assignment review at the bottom, but we do need to do liaison reports. Um, 
I didn't see that you sent one example ones from last year. I know, Robert, you've done yours. No, no, they, uh, I think Mara did send last year's oh, Word format because I updated my. Uh, then forgive me, I missed it. I it's went okay. looking I, last I can, night. I'm happy to resend it. Could you do that for me? Because I went looking through my inbox last night and I, either I just misread what one of the things was or just, you know, just uh, inadvertently discarded it. But. I think you do. It had a, a deadline, yes. October. Yes, I, I was just yeah, going just to remind fellow um, members about the deadline. I think it is due October 15th, and I think that uh, we have been sent and more will resend the draft of last year's um, just as a guidance. And I think that we, at least um, for, for my liaison reports, I'd commit to send um, my report to um, more uh, by the end of the week or several days before the October 15th deadline so she can collate it and put it into one document which then needs to be sent to the mayor and the board of supervisors, I believe. That's correct and very helpful. And the only thing I'd add is that I think the intent would be to bring that back to this committee for your next meeting to have you formally bless it as a body. But if you hit the October 15th, we can collate a document and have it back before you for action. And I would just add, I think it's important to look at the beginning of the last year's, re, or the, because we've added a couple of bond measures from, and so there may not be a, a draft liaison piece to update, it just has to be a new one. So you want to double check. Right, is everyone clear on which ones, which reports they should, they should be writing? Because I think I, I'll owe one for General Hospital between Mora and me. There's the one for transportation. So if you look in your packets under other reports, there is a little sheet, a little, a little grid that looks like this. That's yeah, our understanding yeah, right. of who has what at this time. Well, looks good for me. I need help. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Yeah, we. So, what's the latest with recruiting a couple other members of the commission? Uh, so, as we've talked about, uh, different appointing authorities have seats on this body. Our, our two are filled. The civil grand jury seat is filled. The mayor has one open seat for uh, someone with uh, background in a, or a membership in a business organization, and. The Board of Supervisors has one for both business and community, I believe. Um, so I continue to jog them and encourage you to do the same, and hopefully we can have members shortly. If you have suggestions for membership to the committee, I'd urge them to forward them to Maura or I, and we can pass them along to the various appointing authorities. Wish I had more news to report. Right. Ben, could you repeat the areas of expertise that, that are associated with the openings I believe that the the repres uh, the the mayor has one seat open with someone with a background in a business organization and the board of supervisors has an open seat for both business and community but we'll double check that and forward that to committee members after the meeting because yeah, I'm for the BOS one I might have a recommendation for a community okay. Uh, and, and I should note too that the Board of Supervisors has a process as well where uh, vacancies are noted on the board's website and this vacancy is posted at the board's website and they are taking nominations through that process.
So on the annual report, then we understand that we have to get our liaison reports done by the 15th and to the staffers. And Robert, you were asking for help? Or, uh, no, no, no. I've, I've already submitted mine. Okay, good. Because I, I, I know that you submitted some. I didn't know if you submitted yeah, all. I I, they're, they're Robert got five bucks. Okay, good. All right. So that, that cry for help wasn't as plaintive as it, it may have sounded. No, it was more to Jennifer's. What's the staff? Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. So that then takes care of the annual report. Is there public comment that we need to hear? Good. Jerry. Good morning. My name is Jerry Drattler. C. Goldbach has many enumerated responsibilities in Appendix F of the City Charter. I'm going to speak about the Citizens Audit Review Board, CARB, C-A-R-B. The two primary CARB responsibilities are to review all audits to determine that they meet the requirements in Appendix F and to review the controller's service standards and benchmarks. I will distribute a memo I wrote in November of 2014 where I assessed C. Goldbach's compliance with the CARB requirements in Appendix F. Compliance is very weak. One of the reasons C. Goldbach's compliance with the CARB requirements is weak is C. Goldbach's failure to ensure that the CSA mandated audits are in the CSA annual work plan. For example, the CSA is required to annually conduct a performance audit of the city's streets, sidewalk, and public park maintenance and cleaning operation. The CSA is also required to audit compliance with city contracting procedures. Audits that would address, excuse me, address these CSA requirements are not in the 2016-17 CSA work plan. The work plan on the CSA website includes proposed audits, but not how the $17.9 million budget has been allocated by audit and performance projects. The mission of the CSA is to provide transparency and efficiency in government, and by not submitting the CSA annual work plan to C. Goldbach on a timely basis and not providing information on the cost and benefits of the various projects in the annual work plan, the CSA demonstrates a serious lack of understanding and commitment to the mission of the City Services Auditor. In the March 24th, 2016 C. Gobach meeting, I presented State Board of Equalization data that shows that San Francisco's property tax roll is understated by about $4.3 billion and about $50 million in property taxes is not billed and collected annually. The Office of the Assessor and Recorder would benefit from a CSA performance audit. As one of the 49 boards and commissions in San Francisco, it is important that your annual report speak to how you have performed your sworn, and I'm going, to under, I'm going to emphasize the word sworn, responsibilities, specifically your CARB responsibility and your failure to review all audit reports and your failure to ensure that mandated CSA audits are properly funded and included in the CSA annual work plan. Thank you. Well, I hadn't planned on coming up on this agenda item, but
but I want to compliment um, the former GoBot member for raking you guys over the coals. I'll be sure to transcribe his remarks verbatim. And I believe I may put in a public records request to Mora asking for a copy of that document that he just handed her. This is a damning indictment of GoBot. We've been insulted. <laughs> Would you like a brief? Is a brief response helpful? Pardon? I think so. Just a, if it's Please. helpful, a brief response from my perspective. So, um, there was a comment that our presentation of our work plan for the coming year to this body wasn't timely. That wasn't the case. We had a presentation of our work plan at this body before finalizing it, before the start of the fiscal year, and so. The committee will recall that we had a presentation here to receive feedback from you on our work plan for the year ahead. Um, we did uh, perform that presentation, receive public comment on that work plan at that meeting before finalizing our work plan, which is available in final form on our website. The work plan for the coming year does include uh, work in the areas that Mr. Dradler referenced. So our charter required, or our charter required uh, work on streets, audit, uh, street standards, park standards, and procurement are all outlined and covered in our work plan for the year ahead. Um, so just on a couple of key points here, there's obviously a lot more information on our work plan available to any member. We, have, we did have a, a detailed presentation and discussion with the liaison from this committee, uh, Mr. Bush who you'll recall sent a note in advance of the meeting last time saying that he was satisfied with our work plan for the year ahead and, and um, uh, did make recommendations to the committee to let it move ahead. Go ahead. I, I just want to say too, I think I heard the statement that uh, this committee does not review draft or review uh, audit reports. and. I don't know where you get that documentation from, but I review every single audit report that is submitted, so it's just not correct what was stated. Please. <laughs> In the memo you find. Jerry Drettler, I would like to respond. In the memo you find, like the uh, area of streets, sidewalks, and parks, yes. The CSA does perform work, but specifically, they don't audit. The audit requirements are very specific, and in that memo, you will see that. I, with regard to Commissioner Carlson's response, I believe a lot of individual members read specific reports, but in the area of oversight, you know, you are the organization. You are the board of directors, in effect of the CSA. And if you're not approving their work plan specifically, and if you're not approving their budget and their allocation of funding, then how are you fulfilling your requirements, board-like requirements? And that's my question. And then when you look at what I have done, which is to go back to Appendix F of the City Charter, you'll find there's some very large gaps. And that's the point I'm trying to make. Thank you very much. All right, 
Any other, any, well, at this point, what is our next action? <laughs> the fiscal year 1617 GOBOC annual work plan. Okay, so we're, we don't have to do any more on the annual report, so we're just going to, to that item. Good. All right, well, we have that in front of us. Um, this is a good time to mention, Mrs. McNulty noted, that our next regularly scheduled meeting would have been October 3rd. Um, and today November is, 3rd. I mean, November 3rd, and today is October 3rd. So would you like to go ahead with that meeting as, as part of your discussion? And I would recommend that you do. Okay. And, well, let's put it this way. How do we feel? I'll, I'll take a poll. Kevin. I mean, yes. The third is good. Yeah. Brenda? Yes. And I'll say yes is good. Robert? Yes. yes. Jennifer? I think I can make it. You, you I'm can afraid to pull out my phone because I know it messes up the recording. I'm pretty right. sure I can make it work. But you think you can? Yes. Okay. So on that note, we will we will maintain November 3rd as the date for the next meeting. Um, any other discussion of the schedule, pardon me, of the work plan as it is now written? Um, I'm wondering about um, the point brought up by a member of the public that we have not reviewed the whistleblower program publicly for several months. I know that fell off one of our agendas this summer. Um, Brenda and I have been meeting diligently with Steve and he's been coming out with his great quarterly reports and I think it would, um, I know we've really packed work plan, but if there's an opportunity to share some of that with the public sooner than January, I think we should find that opportunity. One note that I'd actually scribbled on mine here in response to Dr. Kerr's comments, if, if the committee would like, we could switch the two CSA presentations at the November and January meetings. We could, because uh, you did have CSA here in June, we could have the whistleblower program come on November 3rd in lieu of CSA audits and reports and move CSA audits and reports back to the January meeting. Does that sound good, Jennifer? I, I would like to do that. I want to defer to whoever is the liaison for CSA to make sure they're comfortable with that as well. Is that you, Robert? That would no. be Mr. Bush at this Mr. point is the only okay. liaison. So, yeah, why don't we uh, go ahead and approve that yeah, schedule? He's absent. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so switch those two items, the CSA report with the, in, from November to January and from January to November, the whistleblower report. Do we need public comment on that? We do. I'd love to hear it. Hearing none. Or is there any other action we'd like to take on the work plan, the tentative work plan as we have in front of us? Any further discussion? All right. Then I'll then ask for public comment on this as it is now Revised. Hearing none, do we want to accept the work plan? I have a motion to accept the work plan as it is, as we have modified it. So moved. So moved, and I'll second it. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? All right, so be it. And that gets us to item D, which is li liaison assignment review. And this is probably where Robert wants to speak to us. You don't. Okay, so all, I already did. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, your your cry for help. Any other committee members want to talk about this? I, this may be premature, in as much as we've got some vacancies to Maybe. fill. Okay, so we'll. Why don't we? I'll move that we accept this as written with the revised, so that as we get the, the vacancies filled, that we revisit it. Does that sound good? Yes. All right. Um, 
public comment on that. Oh, public sleep. <laughs> I thought she was making a move for the microphone. All right, no public comment. Uh, do I have a motion to approve this then? So moved. And second. No, second. Second. All right. On on the liaison committee assignments, all in favor of them? Aye. Aye. And any opposed? All right. We. Do I need to take public comment overall on this? All right, public comment. Microphone is open for public comment on this item. Well, Seeing none, I think we open item up eight. for the last item, which is general public comment. Yes. So I was just going to say, I was, I was getting to that more. Huh? <laughs> Stay with me. <laughs> okay. All right, public comment. Thank you, Chair. Larkin. That's me. First, I respectfully request the GOBOC change its meeting procedures by moving public comment, the general public comment period that we are now on from the end of each meeting back to being the second or third agenda item as had been your past practice. For people with disabilities like me, we should not have to wait for several hours before you get to the end of your meetings to then be able to address you under general public comment. My sense is that there will be very few members of the public wanting to address you, and it would tack on little extra time to the beginning of your meetings. I would venture it take less than 10 minutes. You rarely have more than one or two, maybe three, members of the public who want to address you during general public comment, and it would be a courtesy to us and it would not inconvenience you that drastically. Second, I strongly urge this committee and Mr. Rosenfeld to start broadcasting your three to four meetings a year on SFGov TV. The cost is nominal, and the transparency for bond oversight by doing so would be invaluable to the general public Surely, Mr. Rosenfield's overall budget for the controller's office and GoBot's budget could easily fund such a nominal cost, and it would greatly add to transparency on hundreds of millions of dollars of bond money that you were supposed to be overseeing, and the members of the public have a right to hear your deliberations particularly those who may be homebound and can't get down here to witness what goes on here. Mr. Rosenfield, I challenge you to scrape together that money out of your budget. Okay. I have a, Jerry Durantler, I have a, another comment on that. First of all, if you look, Seagobach has historically underspent their budget by two and a half to three and a half million dollars a year. So normally when you ask a city department to do something, they always whine there's no money. That's not the case with the CSA. The second is there's been a historic problem of getting the minutes and the um, audio posted on the website. And if you look at the website, as I did this weekend, there are no minutes, there's no audio for any year prior to this year. So I think that's really important that 
um, the C. Gobach raised itself, its standard, to the other commissions in the city. And um, as the previous citizens stated, there are a lot of people who do have mobility issues and who would benefit from, or are interested, and would benefit from watching TV and probably, you know, city government TV is probably a lot more interesting than some other TV. Thank you. Um, all right, we've, we've had public comment before. I ask for a meeting to adjourn. I, I want to go back to a previous discussion we had specifically on the, um, the muni bond. And I, we, we talked about um, the overhead rates for DPW versus MTA. And I made maybe a, I won't say flippant, but casual comment that uh, I accepted the explanation that they got. But then we got a recommendation from the public that maybe there should be some standardization among that. Having said that, I'm going to ask Ken and Ben, um, would that be within our purview to ask for or recommend something like that? Because it, it, I, I, this, the procedure for developing the overhead rate for different departments, to me, it makes sense it would be that it would be standard, it would be the same. It, it's certainly within your purview to ask those questions um, f as, as different bond programs come in front of you. Um, so, so certainly it's within your power of inquiry as a body, and we could certainly talk to you, Mr. Chair, um, regarding the long history of the federally audited overhead rates for both the MTA and the public works and the difference in the agencies. And if, and if the reason for the differences is that there are different federal requirements for the grants that they're providing, well, maybe that is the answer. Maybe it's impractical to have a standard way of doing it. On the other hand, I, I'm, I'm asking the question. It's a complicated answer that we can certainly bring back and talk in more depth about. It, we shouldn't do it at this part of the agenda, frankly, uh, for having closed out the discussion of those specific uh, departments. But we can certainly bring it back when we next have Public Works or the MTA presenting here. Could we do that? Sure. Okay. All right. On that note, I'd like a motion to adjourn. So moved. So moved and seconded. I think Brenda seconded. Sir. All, in, all in favor? Aye. 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 All right. We're done until no. right. November 3rd. Now wait. The mic. What's that? The mic.